Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hoyt Bowhunting Podcast. Uh, we're going to uh, change things up just a little today. I'm going to host. I'm Jeremy Eldridge, Marketing Manager at Hoyt. Um, but don't worry, we are not going to make a habit out of me hosting these. Um, you all have been listening. You've you've uh, heard our hosts, Danny Ferris and Alan Bolin. They do an awesome job uh, hosting our podcast, and we're so lucky to have them as our hosts. And uh, so today, um, we have both of them on, and we're just going to get a chance to finally meet them, get to know them a little bit. Um, we started recording podcasts in August. And when you have two bow hunters like Alan and Danny, it has been impossible to get them together um, since the hunting season has started. So we finally got them both in town and we wanted to uh, record this episode and just get to know these guys a little bit. So Danny, Alan, welcome back from all your hunts. Glad you guys are finally in town. Thank you. Thank you. Um, You guys have had some good hunts. We'll talk probably a little bit more about that, but the season's been good so far. So and uh, like we were just talking about, we're only halfway through, man. We still got whitetail season ahead of us. So um, maybe the best yet to come. But uh, anyway, when we decided we want to do a Hoyt podcast, um, obviously one of the things we had to figure out was who's going to host it. And it, we, had a, we had a list of names, but at the top of that list was Danny and Alan. Um, and, and I'm so grateful they both have decided to do it and made time to do it. They're both extremely busy, but uh, they're so passionate about hunting. They're so passionate about the Hoyt brand. They both jumped at the chance. So, um, Alan Bullen, I first met Alan, man, Alan, it was, uh, maybe 2007 or 2008. If you remember, we did the Katera, uh, tough bow campaign. Oh, Right. And yeah, I was we, I was wondering when you said I first met Alan, I was racking my brain. When would that have been? Yeah, so and it was we we're sitting here as a marketing team in in inside Hoyt, and we're like, hey, you know, we have this idea for Tough Bow campaign. We need somebody who has who's tried to wreck their bow, and, uh, and Kevin Wilkie says, dude, my buddy Alan Bolin, the night before he's leaving on a brown bear hunt, he's out practicing sets his bow against his bumper and forgets oh, it's there and runs dude, over. That was you, Alan? That was yeah. Alan. Dude. Except the I've true story, story is <laughs> the true story is Kevin ran it over with his truck. <laughs> but I did lean my bow against his tire. Yeah, so so that's when I met Alan. Like that's perfect. That's an awesome story. And and so we got with Alan and we got some pictures and and anyway, long story short, he ran over his bow the night before he's supposed to leave on a brown bear hunt. Um, but he was shooting a Hoyt. His bow survived the truck, no problem. And he went on this hunt and killed a giant brown bear. Right. Yeah. Did I get it right? That, that, that's right, man. I, I remember I looked, I picked up my bow and there were six broken arrows in the quiver, completely broken in half. <laughs> I'm like, this thing is, it just looked terrible with all the broken arrows. I'm like, I'm screwed. What am I going to do? So I pulled the arrows out, put in a fresh one and shot it. And it was right off. I'm like, it, it's fine. I can't believe this. <laughs> wow. Like the tire went over the top, dead center of the bow. It, it, I mean, I don't know what better test you can do for durability. Yeah. I remember no that. I remember that campaign. And let me just tell you, Alan, Jeremy was excited about that. Like <laughs> he was the one that told me about it. 
And it, I had no idea that it was you, but he told me that they were starting <laughs> that campaign. And he told me we had a guy that ran right over the middle of his bow, you know, <laughs> and went out and killed something with it immediately afterwards. You know, I, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's, it was a, it was impactful. That's for sure. Yeah. So, so that's, that's how I met Alan. And, and since then it's just been, well, you know, one giant buck or one giant bull or one giant bear after another with Alan every year, the photos come in and, He's one of the most consistent uh, killers I know, and 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 almost always, well, always quality animals. Like Alan has some personal goals of the stuff he wants to kill, and he holds out and he gets it done on big, big animals all the time. In fact, uh, just two days ago, his Sitka blacktail was uh, measured officially as the world record. I mean, that's the kind of hunter we're talking about here. Wow. And congrats, by the way. World Thanks, record man. Sitka blacktail. Yeah. Yeah. Um, still, yeah. still in shock. It's, it was pretty cool. Yeah. In fact, the, the irony of that is a few weeks ago, Danny and I are recording a podcast with Chuck yeah. Adams. I yeah. heard that. I chuckled <laughs> to myself. Yeah. Yeah. I knew what was sitting in my shop. You know, yeah, and and, and I kind of <laughs> knew too because you told me you had shot. He says, "Don't tell anyone," but I shot a black till it might be the world record. And then, like a week later, we're doing this podcast with Chuck Adams, and we asked, and him I what, was pushing Chuck for which he didn't want to answer the question. Yeah, yeah. I heard I, it. That was great. Which world record is vulnerable, Chuck? And he was like, "Uh." <laughs> You know, <laughs> I was like, give up the goods, man. And sure enough, he says, sick of blacktail. And that is what, how ironic. Yeah. 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 So I was chuckling to myself because I knew it had probably just been broken by Alan. So pretty funny. Um, so, and, and now to moving over to Danny, you know, I met Danny um, because you know, I was, uh, I've been in marketing department here at Hoyt for a long time and I'd go to these media events and there was always this guy, I didn't know who he was, but he was, he always had more to say than anybody else. He always, <laughs> his laugh was always louder than anybody else. I'm like, I don't know who that guy is, but I, I don't know if I could handle him being my ad rep. I mean, he is, he's got a lot to say. And it was probably like a year later, he moved magazines, moved over to, uh, uh, Bowhunter Magazine, and he became our ad rep with, with Bowhunter Magazine. And so I got to know him uh, personally at that point instead of just seeing him around. And we became fast friends. I mean, I mean, we've been great buddies ever since. We've done some hunts with our boys. We both have boys that are uh, the same ages. Um, two, I have two boys and Danny has three boys and they're pretty similar in age and they've all played football and they all, they just have so much in common. So we've done some hunts together. And so, um, again, just, just such a great friend. And so, um, you can see, you know, why I'm such a fan of these two guys, uh, to have them hosting our podcast and Danny being in the industry has, you know, had uh, so many opportunities on so many hunts. And so he, he can speak with a wealth of knowledge as can Alan. So, um, that's that's how we ended up with Alan and Danny as our hosts. And as if you've been listening to the podcast, you know these guys have been doing a great job. They're passionate about the subject matter. They can speak to it. They have a lot of experience. Um, but they're also humble enough to let the guests teach us. And so that I've really been 
don't know, I've been really impressed with the episode so far and just grateful to you guys for being willing. You know, you're so busy. You've got, you both own businesses, you've got families, you're trying to hunt yourselves and yet you're making time to host our podcast. So, um, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jeremy. Thanks for the kind words. Yeah. Yep. No kidding, Jeremy. No kidding. Um, so, so in a nutshell, we are the two biggest mouths that you know, and you, <laughs> that, that's right. <laughs> no, it's just it's a good fit. Um, you both have your own styles, which keeps each episode fresh, um, and so I, I just couldn't be happier with the way they're turning out, and and uh, and I hope you guys feel the same way. But um, so, Alan, you're you're from Utah. Um, yep. And so you and I, you know, we've ran into each other a lot over the years uh, since we met back in the Katera days. And um, I know you, you've got, uh, I've met your wife. She's actually helped us with the photo shoot in the past. Her right. And, yeah. Some of your other family members and friends. So I've kind of got to know your family. Your boy has been up to the Total Archery Challenge. I've met him there a few times, but tell us about the rest of your family. I, I mean, I know your wife, I know your son, but you have other kids. Yeah. So, um, I'm getting, I'm getting kind of old. My, my oldest child, a daughter's married now. And, uh, and then I've got Jake who's 18 and then Jane who is 10. And my wife, Kami is very, very supportive of, supportive of my obsession of, with hunting. It's literally, <laughs> she has to be, pe- man. people say, you know, so, so your, your favorite hobby is bow hunting. And I'm like, no man, my hobby surfing. Bow hunting <laughs> is way, way beyond the hobby stage. Like there's no, no, no hobby in their right mind that would, that would, you know, it, it, it's become a complete obsession. I think about it 24 hours a day and, and I tie most things in life tie back into it. So, uh, but yeah, the, the, the family is really supportive and understanding and they know even when I leave, they know I love them. And, uh, that, I think that's, that's really important. You know, if I, if I had to give one piece of advice to people, they ask me all the time, man, why does your wife, how do you convince your wife to let you hunt so much? And I said, there is no doubt in my wife's mind that she is the most important thing in my life. And, uh, when I'm home, I make that so clear and I am constantly helping with whatever I can help with, spending as much time with her as possible, watching the sappy romances that she wants to watch, <laughs> whatever it is, I, I am there for her and I want her to know that I love her more than anything. And, and because of that, she doesn't feel threatened when I say, I want to go mountain goat hunting for two weeks. She'll say, oh, well, that's great. Does it make you happy? I say, yeah. She's then go do it. That's so, awesome. So it's, it's been really awesome. Yeah. Good, good family, very supportive and been fun watching the kids learn to hunt and and uh, i got the next one coming up jane at age 10 that's gonna hopefully really love it does your does your wife hunt at all alan no not at all we did though for our 20th anniversary uh she agreed to go turkey hunting and right on. Uh, and so we went to ohio and uh she shot a turkey and she cried uh, <laughs> and it was awesome yeah it was it was a very emotional cool experience and, you know, sitting in the blind, she was amazingly keen. Like she was spotting birds before me and it, it was a really cool experience, but I don't know that, I mean, it, it was hard for her to, yeah. to shoot something. Um, I, I think she might go turkey hunting again someday, but probably won't right. ever get too into it. Yeah. How about you, Danny? Do, do you, does your wife hunt? No, actually my wife, uh, she, she 
likes turkey hunting. She's been turkey hunting a few times. She's killed turkeys. Um, she tried deer hunting one year. It was a late season uh, rifle tag here in Colorado, December time frame. And she is not a cold weather hunter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it's anything where her toes might get cold, it's a, it's a no, you know? So, um, but she, you know, she, and she enjoys it. She just doesn't enjoy cold weather. So there's no way that, you know, I'm ever going to get her out in anything where, you know, <laughs> she might get a little bit frosty, but my kids yeah. all like to hunt. Um, and like Jeremy was talking about, we've taken our boys hunting on uh, several occasions together. And, um, and my daughter, uh, my youngest is, is 18 years old. Can't even believe that. Uh, it's hard to hear myself say that, but my youngest, uh, my oldest son is named Austin and he is, he just turned 24. Um, second one is Lane, who's 22, Casey, who's 21. And then our daughter is a senior in high school. She's 18 years old and her name is Bailey and all of them bow hunt. Um, you know, it's, funny with the with the boys they're they're certainly all into it but you've got different levels of into it you know what i mean like you've got austin the oldest one who is good for a couple good hikes the first day and then you know the 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 second day he's like oh man let's sleep in this morning you know what i mean and then <laughs> you've got casey who's my youngest son who who it, it, is a step above that for sure. Like he'll work for it. You know what I mean? But he's not just consumed by it all the time. And then the middle one lane, he's his dad all over oh, again. Yeah. He's yeah, going to be in trouble with the wife. He's going to be in trouble with the boss. He's going to be in <laughs> trouble. With, he, he's got a lot of that coming unless he listens to Alan and figure out, figures out how to play that game. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, which one uh, Danny was, uh, with you on that article you wrote about the two giant mule deer you guys shot. I just read the article. It was amazing by the way. Well, I appreciate it, man. Uh, that was Lane. That That was Lane. Lane. Yeah. He, um, uh, he plays college football and usually that late season, um, Eastern Plains, Colorado hunt is about the only bow hunting that he can do. Um, Mm -hmm. because you know, from, late July all the way through mid November. Um, he he's consumed with football, you know, right. he's, he can't get out at all. Um, so fortunately here in Colorado, we live on the, on the, uh, front range of Colorado and the Eastern Plains is right here in our backyard. And that season starts up October 1st and runs basically through the end of the year with a short break for rifle season. So that gives him an opportunity to get out. And last year, last year we had probably the best mule deer year that we'll ever have. Um, he killed one that was over 190, and I killed one that grossed uh, 205 eights. And I mean, you know, I, that's my second biggest mule deer. But um, for both of us to kill deer that size in the same year, that was pretty. That was pretty phenomenal. After <laughs> I got like the so year excited, Alan is having. <laughs> I got so excited reading that article, man. That that just the idea of father and son out there like that shooting two giant bucks in the same hunt. Oh man, that was so you 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 articulated it so well. I felt like I felt the emotion of it. 
It's great. Well, I, I appreciate it. Um, he's, he's had a heck of a year so far this year too. So he plays division two football for Western Colorado university. D2 postponed their season this year due to COVID. They, they pushed it to the spring and Lane was going to be a senior this year. Um, he leads his conference in tackles by like 40 tackles. Wow. Yeah. Uh, kid, kid has done pretty well. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's good. Um, and it, if he if he finishes his senior year leading in tackles, I think he'll be the set the second kid in school history or something like that to lead in tackles all four years that he played. So wow. when they talked about pushing the the season back to the spring and then having a partial season in the spring, he was like, "No, man, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. You know, I want to have a full complete." season you know it, it it'd be one thing if he'd gotten a little bit of playing time but he's done pretty well um throughout this entire thing and and stands to get on some pretty cool lists if he has a good year as a as a senior so he decided to take the fall off and i'm having a feeling that hunting contributed greatly to this decision <laughs> you know what i mean but um you know he was faced with uh, if if he went ahead and went back to school. Um, he was going to graduate at semester. So then to come back and play football, he's going to have to go into another program of some sort, either a graduate program or pick up a second, um, uh, uh, a second, uh, major or something along those lines. So he was like, no, man, I just, dad, I want to take the fall off so that I can go hunt. I haven't gotten to elk hunt, you know, not with a bow since, you know, forever. And so he, he, uh, immediately started chasing the antelope and ended up taking his first antelope with a bow. First time he's ever had an opportunity to bow on antelope because he's been playing football since he was in second grade. Um, and, uh, then here, uh, two weeks ago, we went out with a uh, camera crew from Bowhunter TV and we were able to, uh, he was able to take his first bull elk with a bow in an over the counter unit on public land here in Colorado, which is a pretty big feat, you know, and did it on camera. And it was, it, it was a pretty spectacular moment for him and for old, and for old dad. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. We're, yes. we're easily as excited as our kids are when they shoot something. Oh man. Yeah. Oh man. I shake sure. way worse, way yeah. worse when they're about ready to, I, I'm literally, my hands are shaking. I'm like, I, I'm not like this when I shoot something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's funny because on the video, you know, we watched it back. One of the first things that I said after he shot that bull was I looked directly at the camera and I said, why is dad shaking like this? You know what I mean? Like, what yeah. is my problem? I was completely melting down. So yeah, it was really cool. That's awesome. It was really yeah. cool. Yeah. He's excited. Lane will usually call me every time he shoots something and, or FaceTime me to show me the pictures, but they didn't yeah. have servers where they were elk cutting. So he, he didn't probably the first time in the no, last five or six years, old, he hasn't done that. I think you were in Alaska. Yeah. I probably, I've, yeah. Yeah, I was. So maybe yeah. he tried, but yeah, um, but yeah. He's uh, when you say he's eating up with it, man. He is. I I can attest to that, man. There's, he's just like my boys. He cannot get enough of yeah. anything to do with hunting. I mean, he's he definitely takes after his dad for sure. Yeah, goodness, poor kid. 
so, um, Alan, you, uh, uh, you know, I mentioned both of you guys own businesses. Danny's, you bought your business about a year ago and we'll, yep, we'll a talk a little more, ago. talk a little more about that. But Alan, you've, you've had, you've owned your own business for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've, I've owned multiple companies, uh, a lot of them doing the same thing, but yeah, this, this particular business, I started in 2007. Yeah. So it's been it's, a long uh, time. It started as a alarm business, but is now transitioned into smart homes. Smart homes. So, right. But, but I want you to know, Jeremy, I bow hunt for a living. <laughs> okay. Now I want to, I want to explain I hear this. You. I want to explain I, this, man. So there's certain parts of hunting that are more fun and certain parts that are less fun, but they're all really important. Like, you know, I, I, you know, like if you go brown bear hunting, you'll sit there in glass 12 hours a day. I mean, literally freezing cold wind and you're glassing 12 hours a day. And I don't care who you are. That's not fun, but right. you have to, it's just part of the hunt. And when I come into this office right here, I'm at work right now. I'm doing, I'm, I'm hunting. I'm making the money that it takes to go hunting. It's all part of the hunt. Yeah, I, hear like, you. I literally, literally believe I'm bow hunting every single day when I walk into the <laughs> office. It's just part of the hunt. I got to nice. make the money to be able to and have the flexibility and earn the time and whatever it is. It's all bow hunting. Everything's bow hunting. Yeah, that's your motivation. <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, yeah, right on. So, um, so smart I mean, just, homes, like, the, like elaborate on that a little bit. Are, are, are we talking like Alexa or what are we, what are we talking about? Yeah, we integrate with Alexa. So we do lights, locks, thermostats, garage door control, um, you know, and then security of course, but it's the kind of thing where you go to bed at night and, and you either do it on your app or you could even tell Alexa to do it. You say, I'm going to bed and your doors will lock, your thermostat will adjust your preferred nighttime temperature, all your lights will turn off, your garage door, if it's not shut, it will shut. Um, your security cameras go into a, a different mode where they, they might send more notifications for, for motion at night. Um, so it all kind of happens automatically. Of course, your security system arms. Um, and you know, the security as, is sort of the hub for that, uh, the, the security panel. And then a lot of it's cloud-based. Uh, the interaction and, and the cell phone has become more of the, the key part of the system than anything else. But wow. it's it's not overly complicated. It's just, again, it's just part of the hunt. Mm. Pretty cool. It sounds complicated to me. Well, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it sounds complicated to me too. But I, I'll tell you, I, uh, when, when I go, when I, whenever I go hunting, I'm always headed south, it seems like. And I pass through I 15, I pass. Alan's building on the side of the freeway and it's a, I mean, he's obviously done well. It's a successful business. It's a beautiful building. So, um, it's been, you know, uh, I guess it's been a wild ride, I'm sure, but he's, yeah. uh, done very well with it. So it's definitely awesome. a wild ride. I mean, it, all the entrepreneurs out there know that there is no easy way to make money in America. It is anytime there's an industry identified as highly profitable, competition floods the industry and it becomes highly competitive and margins get driven down. And it it's it's tough. I mean, capitalism is tough. We love it, but it, it it's hard to survive. I mean, I, any business owner knows it. It may look great. You may have a big flashy building on the side of I-15, but you struggle. 
And, and <laughs> every day, you know, you have to make really hard decisions. And, and sometimes you look back and think, wow, if I'd have made just a slightly different decision, I'd have gone out of business. Holy smokes. You know, wow. and, and that's, that's just how it is. And, and uh, you have to put everything into it. Right on. Yeah. So when does the when when does the smart game camera division come along, Alan? Like, yeah, I've, I've had conversations about this. With, with, <laughs> I would imagine, dude. Yeah, with my with my suppliers. Yeah, I I have really really uh, yeah. Anyway, who knows? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> I might question. have stumbled onto something, yeah. and Alan's like, yeah. uh, uh. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to sign the NDA and I'll tell you all about it, Danny. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Right on. All right. And then, uh, so Danny, a little over a year ago, you, you purchased a business. Before that, you were associate publisher, Bowhunter Magazine, host of Bowhunter TV, um, living, living the dream. And then you jumped in and decided to live a different dream. And yeah, so I mean, in fact, you're, you're at work right now. I can hear. I can hear <laughs> you the can work hear. going. I can hear you guys working. So yeah. tell, us what, tell us what's going on there right now. Sorry about that. Hey, hey, keep that tape under control over there, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have been a publisher at Bowhunter Magazine and Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine for the last 15 years of my career. And, uh, Produced Bowhunter TV and a couple other television shows um, that aired on the uh, on the major hunting networks. And as part of Bowhunter TV for the last oh three years, there was this. Um, well, let's go back even a little bit further. I am a decoy geek. I've even when decoying isn't necessarily the best tactic that you should use in that particular instance, I'll use it a lot of times just because the excitement of it is so intense that it's just how I like to hunt them. You know what I mean? I like the interaction. Um, I I like bringing something in right into my lap and completely fooling them. Um, I especially like it when something like a big whitetail comes in and he bows up and he pins his ears back and he's stomping sideways in and just blown up (laughs) like a silverback gorilla. You know what I mean? For me, those are the most adrenaline intensive moments, you know, and I've done a bunch of really crazy things with decoys in the past. Um, That Sitka blacktail that me and Alan were talking about earlier, uh, uh, you know, I, I had taken a Montana decoy and I chopped the head off of it and I attached it to my hat. So I had the head of this Montana decoy on the hat. And then I had the body that was, the head was chopped off of out in front of me. So I had my bow in my left hand. I was holding the body with my right hand and had a cameraman right next to me off of my right hip. So basically where I had chopped the decoy's head off was right underneath the decoy's head that's now mounted to my hat, and the the butt end of the decoy is hiding my cameraman. And we went across like a 200-yard wide-open flat at this buck and ended up taking, you know, a a really nice sick of blacktail with it. Um, I've done things like that, you know, throughout my entire career. Then three years ago, 
four years ago now, um, this company called Ultimate Predator came along and they had this product line called Stalker Decoys. And it was basically a decoy that you mount to your bow and it has a big shooting port in the middle of it so that you shoot right through the decoy. And I had done this with other decoys. I had cut that hole, the exact same shaped hole in my decoys and found (laughs) ways to rubber band it to the riser of my bow. And when I saw it, I was like, holy smokes, we have got to get those guys as a sponsor on Bowhunter TV. And so I called them up and, you know, this was a startup company and they did not have any budget. They didn't have any money to put towards sponsorship whatsoever. And I said, well, listen, we're going to pro bono it the first year. And we'll just raise Hoyt's sponsorship fees. <laughs> yeah, we'll just, we'll just raise Hoyt's sponsorship a little bit. Jeremy would be fine with that. Um, and so we, we ended up using them that first year. And I had this incredible experience on a whitetail in, uh, in Kansas with that decoy. And came back from from that and, you know, was just like, not only did it work like I thought it was going to, it was even better. Um, we just a couple of spectacular things where I had taken a big buck and right after I had taken him, I walked down, picked the arrow up, came walking back, was examining the arrow and look over my shoulder. And there's another big buck that's staring at me from 70 yards. And he sees me. He sees me. You know, I don't have a decoy. My bow is laying on the ground with the decoy on it. I have to step over behind my bow sit down in the little turkey chair that I was sitting in, d- down in and raise that decoy up. And, it, you know, the buck's still standing there at 75 yards looking at me like, what in the world was that that I just saw? I just saw some ugly thing. And now I'm looking at a doe that's staring at me, you know, and I start flicking the decoy's ears and things like that. And that buck ends up coming in to four yards from us, four yards <laughs> right in front wow. of us. Oh my gosh. And, all on video, you know, and, and I was just completely blown away. Like I, I could not believe what I was getting away with on mature whitetail bucks with this thing. Um, I knew that it worked well for turkeys. I knew that it worked well for elk. Um, I hadn't really played around with it with mule deer that much, but when I started doing this on mature whitetail bucks, the light bulb went off like this is, this is crazy. You know, yeah, it's, this, a this is, it's a, it's a lot of fun and it's, it's not a tactic that I'm going to use every single time, but in those situations where, you know, you have the place where you couldn't really hunt before, or you watched deer from a tree stand come into the corner of a field day after day in the same corner of the field, man, there's a lot of options that it gives you. So long story short, I was super impressed with this product and had probably three years of really good success with it right in a row. And then one day, uh, the owner of the company comes to me, one of the owners, um, and says, uh, would you be interested in maybe buying it? And, uh, there was a a partnership meltdown that was happening over there. And, uh, they had made the decision that they were going to sell it instead of one of the, they couldn't come to terms on buying the other one out. So they decided to, to sell it. And I was like, man, I need to do this. So I went ahead and purchased it. And for the last year, we've uh, 
we've been doing pretty well. We're selling a heck of a lot of decoys. They work really well. And I've only been working 20 hours a day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. During certain times of the year, my, uh, my shipping manager over here would argue that during September and November. (laughs) Be like, he says he's working, but he's not. (laughs) But no, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun and I'm definitely learning a lot, you know, and then, you know, at the same time, I'm still active in, uh, um, with a couple of, with some of the publications, uh, do a bit of writing, freelance writing, things like that. Some, uh, custom content things. And then, uh, um, also work with Bowhunter TV quite closely still. So haven't completely left that behind. Yeah. Right on. Um, <clears throat> I know both of you, I've, I've seen you both at the Pope and Young convention independently. Yeah. You didn't even know each other. You didn't know you would uh, uh, someday in the future both be hosting the Hoyt Boning podcast but you that's the type of guys you are you're you're very passionate about the industry but um Alan I mean, I, mean, I, I saw you just last year at the Bo, at the Pope and Young convention right you yeah were, I go every year some seminars every two years. And, yeah so tell me a little bit about your involvement there because I know it's more than just a member you you're you're pretty involved yeah, I don't know. I, I'd say I'm just an involved member, Jeremy. I, I, I don't I don't hold any positions. I'm not on the board. I, I have considered that, but I've just decided that I'm too busy to run for a board position. So I, I volunteer some time. I, I definitely enter all of my animals. I try to participate in the conventions. I do, you know, I'll do a, a seminar or whatever at the convention. Um yep. So that's that's it. I did help them a little bit with their their uh, database. So they they have the the book, you know, the the record book. Yeah. Um, there's this idea to to put it on a database and make it accessible. And so um, I had a relationship with some programmers, and I set up some a really good deal for the club, and and I helped uh, engineer uh, the 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 website and everything, and how it pulled the data from a hunter standpoint so that it made sense since, you know, the computer programmers didn't understand, didn't understand uh, hunting and, and how yeah. we look at records and numbers and all of those things. So I helped launch that. And so, uh, last year, last convention, um, I did some speaking, explaining the, the program, uh, the, the database it's, it's available on their website. Now, if you go to the Pope and Young website in the upper left part of the webpage, there's a little, a little uh, red tab. It says something like trophy database or trophy search database or something like that. And you click on that and there's a certain amount of searching you can do completely for free. Like every species, every hunter, you know, you can type in Danny Ferris and you'll see everything that Danny's entered into the book or, or you could do that for any hunter. Um, but you don't get any of the County information and that kind of thing. You have to get a paid membership for that, which is affordable. I, I, I want to say it's like 35 bucks a year or something like that. But then that gives you all the county information and uh, species information, like where the biggest stuff is coming from. It's yep. a tremendously powerful researching tool. I spend a lot of time because I'm a, I'm kind of a record book fanatic and I, I, I love like chasing super big stuff. So I spend a ridiculous amount of time searching Pope and Young's database and Boone and Crockett's database. Um, before I hunt any animal, I have mapped out the hot spots for the biggest stuff and in the sleeper areas. And, and I don't just look at bow stuff because most of the stuff that I'm trying to hunt, you know, would make Boone and Crockett as well. So I'm looking at both 
databases and and seeing you know w- where my highest odds are. And so it's a tremendously powerful researching tool. I know I'm getting off on a little bit of a tangent here, but no, it's great. But that's, no. I, I think it's really interesting and and very available from both Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young. They both have paid memberships to access all of their data and have a ridiculous amount of data. And if you know how to use it, it it's going to make your hunting way uh, more successful. So forgive me, Alan. I mean, I'm, I'm a Pope and Young member as well, but does... Um, does that data come with your regular annual Pope and Young membership or is it a separate data subscription or something like that that you have to pay? I believe that, I believe that the members get a discount. Okay. So there is a data subscription or something. There is. I wish I knew the pricing, but it was something like the members get it for half price. So it almost pays for your membership. Mm -hmm. So it is a good deal. Right, right, right. Um, and it, it, it is a valuable tool. Um, I I went through and did a bunch of the same things that you're talking about, especially with the primary species that I like to hunt just about every year and did spreadsheets. And this yeah. is prior to Pope and Young's being available. Um, and it's funny because when you start studying that kind of data, um, you find out that there are pockets. And even in certain states that are, you know, hot spots for, let's say, for whitetails, you know, everybody knows that Iowa is a hot spot for whitetails. Um, when you start studying that one particular state and you start breaking things down by counties and, and looking at truly magnificent animals, whether you're just going, I've done it before because on, on some of those databases, um, you've only got like main beam length inside spread and uh base circumferences things like that but breaking it down to say okay let's let's say that i don't necessarily care about overall points let's say that i just care about i'm looking for gigantic frames you know what i mean because if you can get that gigantic frame then you can you're you're going to have the rest that comes with it a lot of times um and you start mapping all of these out and how many of them have come from a certain place in the last five years. And all of a sudden you find out that you have little clusters, Yep. you know, clusters here and there. And, and sometimes, um, and you're just basically able to go fish in what, you know, lucrative waters. You know what yeah, I mean? One of the ways that I designed the, the database on the, on the Pope and young side, since, since I had, you know, I, I was the one making the call with the programmers on how to put it together. I actually sure. had every single entry uh, category sortable. So you can sort by, let's say, the longest G2. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and literally, you can also, I mean, you can say, like, who has the world record G2 on a meal there, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you can look that up. You That's know? awesome. Um, yeah. And, and so if you want to sort by width, you're going to see who has the world record width on a whitetail and, and you'll find out. And, uh, but you'll also see that, you know, you'll see, wow, a lot of the wide deer, let's say, are coming from Eastern Colorado. Yeah. Well, let's say, which they might. I've seen pretty wide no, deer. No, they're out not. There. They're not coming from Colorado. <laughs> on the whitetails. <laughs> they're but coming anyway. from. <laughs> but, but. That's a joke. <clears throat> but anyway, it is, it is sortable by every single. Uh, entry category. So it's pretty interesting that way. You can also sort by gross score and not just the net entered score. I mean, of course, the official world record is going to be off of the net the net yeah. score, even 
you know, even non-typical, of course, has a net score. But sure. um, you can look at the gross total number of inches. So it is, it's, it's super cool data, and and you can make great decisions. You know, uh, you know, people, people, you know, uh, they they ask, well, how how did you kill this whatever? And I'm like, well, I was in the right spot. That that's yeah. a, that's a huge. A huge uh, first step to take is be in the right place because then at least you're in the game. Right. And there's, then, then, then you got to get lucky a little bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You can do all the homework that you want, but you got to have that little bit of luck that goes along with it. There's no kidding on that. <laughs> yep. Yep. Hope that the wind doesn't swirl at the wrong time and all kinds of things like that. Um, yeah. So how, how long have you been involved with Pope and Young now? As, as a member? Uh, yeah. Yeah. My first convention I went to was in 2006 in uh, awesome. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Yeah. So that that was my first one. I don't know how long that is. It's a it's a while. It, it's a little <laughs> yeah. while. How about, about you, you Danny? Um, I think that the first convention that I went to was actually Denver, and I think that that was the year after. I think you're right. Uh, or two years after the yep. the, the 2008. Yeah, I think that that was the first convention I've went to. And I've been to all of them since then, except for last year. Um, oh. And, yeah, you know, I, I'll i let you speak to this a little bit, Alan, but I feel like the Pope and Young is a important, important entity for bow hunters. And a lot of guys, younger guys in our age class, I find that they don't, you know, they just think that it's a record book club and that that's all it is. And I, you know, I feel like it's our voice and I hear a lot of guys that say, well, I don't like it because it's a bunch of old fuddy duddies, you know, a bunch of traditional bow hunters and elitists and blah, 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 blah. And they feel like they have control over the club and the direction of the club and things like that. Well, the club's a club. And yeah. if you want to have a voice, you got to participate. You know what I that's mean? Right. And uh, I think that there's been a lot of really um, uh, forward thinking things happen with the club here, especially in the last five years. Um, there's been I a think lot of, important, you know, and, and I'm guilty. I have not had all my animals scored. The only animals that I've ever really had scored were the ones that were truly magnificent animals. You know, the ones that were probably Boone and Crockett as well as Pope and Young. And, and, I need to get better about that. One of the problems is I don't have a score, you know, a, a Pope and Young score right here near me that's easy to get to anymore. Um, but I plan to take all my stuff in there and have it have it officially done one of these days because I think that it, it, it's it's a good way of just supporting the club. Well, with how you much know? stuff you have, it'd be one of these weeks, not one of these days. No, dude. No. Everything? no. <laughs> um, with the year that you're having, you need to just hush. Like if, if this year represents what your career has gone like at all, <laughs> man. Uh, yeah, I agree though on the, on the club stuff. So, um, you know, the, the reason that these numbers, that these records are important is because they are, they represent conservation. So when, when you look at a certain age class of buck, which would be represented by the size of his antlers, and, and you can see that there's a consistent age class, you know, a, a consistent size being entered. Um, it shows you that this, there's not over harvesting going on. If you see that stuff, like I remember, you know, in Utah, for example, 
Utah was killing like twice as many Boone and Crockett bull elk as any other state. Um, and then over the years that followed that, they opened it up more and gave out more tags. And that number of Boone and Crockett elk dropped dramatically. And now I'm not saying it's a bad call. What I'm saying is we know. We right. wouldn't know otherwise. Because of the record books, we can measure conservation and measure the impact of harvesting. And, and we're able to make those decisions. I also like what you said about the, the club being a voice because somebody has to determine Somebody has to help determine, you know, what's a bow and arrow, for example. I mean, that may seem like a simple question, but is a crossbow a bow and arrow, for example? It's a, it's a great question. I'm not. I don't think we should get into that question right now, but it's it's a great question. Does does a bow and arrow have a rangefinder mounted to it? Is a lighted knock uh, considered fair chase? All of these have. You know, somebody has to answer those questions. And what a better way to answer the question than to get the most serious bow hunters on the planet together, have yep. them elect people that make good decisions, and then have those people make the decision. It's like democracy in action. Sure. Basically, it's yeah. like sort of, uh, sort of like a, a democratic body for bow hunting. It and is. I think that a lot of the states base their laws off of what that club has determined as an ethical fair chase way of, you know, is, is, is it okay to, to uh, shoot an animal when it's in snow up to its neck or swimming across the lake or in the middle of the night with, with a spotlight? Okay, right. well, let's get together and let's make these decisions together. And that's yeah. what these clubs, Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young, that's what they do. They decide what's fair chase and, you know, what's the right way to go about it. And so I think it's super important. And not everybody has the same understanding of it, like the lighted knock issue that you were talking about just a minute ago. Uh, for a long time, um, you know, that was outlawed by the Pope and Young. Which, and, which was silly, which was silly. But luckily, yeah, democracy absolutely. came together and made the right decision. And, and that's, that's a yeah. result of having younger guys get involved and say, hey, you know, you older guys that didn't grow up with these that that aren't familiar with the technology. This is not something that gives you an advantage, you know, in, in until after the shot. You right. know what I mean? It's just right. to find yeah. your arrow to see where your impact is. This is a ridiculous rule. And by those guys speaking up, the rule got changed at the Pope and Young level. And therefore, a bunch of the states, like my own home state of Colorado, who also followed suit because Pope and Young did and said, nope, no electronics attached to the arrow or anything else, no lighted knocks. Because Pope and Young made that change, the state organizations followed suit. Right. And a, a lot of times they get their ideas and they base a lot of their decision making, the DNRs and the state hunting associations, which I also think are, is very important for people to be a part of, um, they base those decisions off of what's happening in Pope and Young. Um, yeah. So, you know, even if you're not a guy who's going to travel to, to the conventions, if you never have, oh man, you need to, because those are a blast. Yeah. Those are simply awesome. Um, and they, they're, they're still biannual, aren't they, Alan? They are. Yeah. They did. Uh, they they attempted actually to do an annual convention this this last summer, but because of COVID, it was canceled. Mm -hmm. So they're they're moving back to biannual. Right. So yeah. every other year they have one of these conventions somewhere here in the United States, and if you're ever near one, go to it. 
You know, it's great to support the club because everything that we've been talking about, the benefits that we're talking about, they they have to be funded somehow. So when you go to the convention, when you enter animals, when you pay your membership fee, it helps the club survive. And, uh, you know, one of the one of the reasons, you know, I, I think everybody should enter all their animals, anything they can. I, 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 one of the things I can't stand on social media is guys say, "Oh, look at this hundred ninety five inch buck I killed." Okay, right. First of all, like, is under who who measured it? You know, like, <laughs> you say it's one ninety five. Okay, I just did a search on the Pope and Young database, and I don't see it. Right. So is it really 195? And and if you're going to reference that system, if you're going to say, hey, and they a lot of times will throw in Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett, they'll throw right. it right in there on the score and they right. haven't had it scored. So one of the reasons for the online database is actually to, you know, it's it's fun to enter stuff and then actually see it there and see it show sure. up. Like you search a person's name and you see all of their entered animals show up. So I think it's great incentive to enter animals, which the point of that is conservation one, and then two funding the club that helps promote the sport of bow hunting. I agree. I thought that this, not that this podcast is supposed to be about the Pope and young no, club. It wasn't, but I mean, <laughs> we should do one, Jeremy, we should do yeah, we one. Should. We should get, we should. get the, get the president and the executive director on and let's, let's talk. Yeah, well, no, you guys, we should definitely do that. But, and then this podcast didn't really have any specific agenda other than to get to no. know you guys. And Pope and Young is something you guys are passionate about. So, well, and the crazy yeah. thing is, me and Alan haven't really had a chance to to talk a whole lot. Both of us are busy, and and we've talked a little bit over social media. But this is really the first opportunity that me and Alan have had to sit down and talk. And Pope and Young happened to be one thing that both of us had in common that we're passionate yeah. about. Yeah. Um, yep. So. Anyway, yeah. Sorry to get sidetracked on you guys, but I think uh, I think both of us feel pretty strongly about the message that that's a worthwhile cause. Yeah, Absolutely. that seems seems obvious that you do. You know, it is something you guys are passionate about, and um, we're getting uh, getting close to time. But one thing I've been curious about, and I don't know if I could guess this on Alan, but what are you, what's your favorite animal to hunt? I think I could guess it on Danny. What's your favorite animal to hunt? And then the second second question, what's what is one of your most memorable hunts? Yeah, I mean, as far as like um the trophy appreciation, um, there's nothing like mule deer. I get more excited when I see a giant mule deer buck than than any other animal. Um I, I can't say that the mule deer hunt itself is necessarily the most enjoyable hunt. Um, it's, it's kind of a big grind and I do love it. Don't get me wrong. I love it, but there may be other hunts that I find more enjoyable, but I love mule deer in general. There's nothing that makes me more excited than a big old buck. Um, and then my most memorable hunt would definitely be my stone sheep hunt. And, uh, that one, it was, you know, I was, I was after a, uh, you know, a Boone and Crockett stone sheep, which there's only been, you know, uh, three of them ever shot with a bow. And, um, and so I knew it was a extremely lofty goal that I would probably never achieve. I mean, odds are I would never achieve it. I mean, there's only yeah. on average, get this guys on average, there's four Boone and Crockett stone sheep killed per year with rifles in the oh, world. Wow. Four, yeah. four year. per year yeah. in the world. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's extremely low odds. And, and so I, I booked, um, I booked a hunt and, and the outfitter said that he had found this mountain range, a very small mountain range that hadn't been hunted 
since 1983. It was in his outfitting area and nobody thought there were sheep there, but he looked at some very old government records and found a couple of sheep reported from 1983. So he said, come up with me and I'll let you go in there and see what you find. Cause you're after a giant. If there's, if there's sheep in there, they're going to be old. So I booked the hunt and uh, we went in there and we, we found this absolutely spectacular ram, um, 40, 45 inches, uh, his horns were 45 inches long and I just true like cranker, like old school cranker stone sheep. And, um, and I, I, it, things just came together. He was bedded in a terrible spot. Like you could never approach him. 13 Rams looking in every direction from this little (laughs) tiny point in the middle of a plateau. Like you are never going to get even within rifle range of these sheep. Um, and, uh, a grizzly bear comes out of nowhere and walks across this plateau and spooks the sheep in every direction. And, and we watched this giant ram go into these cliffs. And I was able to put a stock on and I got to 67 yards. And it was a, a steep downhill angle. I sat there for a couple hours while he slept. And he stood up and I put uh, two arrows through his lungs. And he walked <laughs> oh, off sweet. in the middle of these cliffs and uh, bedded down on this perfect little grassy flat. And um, walking up to him was... Uh, the most incredible to, to see that wow. the, the, the gigantic curl of those horns yeah. at 45, 45 by 44. Um, it was, it was incredible. And so, yeah, that, that I, I, I don't know, just the odds of encountering yeah. an animal like that. It's actually, believe, believe it or not, the biggest stone sheep killed in the Yukon in the last 50 years with any weapon. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. So it's like, um, incredible you know it's of course the yukon archery record he's number two in the world um and i mean it was just the odds of even seeing an animal like that and then having the opportunity to make a bow stock and have it all come together and interestingly when we walked into that mountain range since it hadn't been hunted since 83 those sheep had never seen a human being and when we left none of those sheep had ever seen a human being Oh, wow. Now, oh, that's bow hunting for you. Yeah. People say yeah. bow hunters are high impact. Yeah. They, they never knew we were there. Wow. It, it was wow. amazing. I mean, that you know, that sheep had an arrow hit it. He didn't know where it came from. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that, that was pretty cool. That, that is, is cool. awesome. Man. That's awesome. So, Danny, what about you? Well, you know what my favorite thing to hunt is, Jeremy. Take a guess. <laughs> I would guess elk. Yes. There's, okay. for me, there's... There's nothing that compares. Um, I talked about being addicted to interaction with animals, um, whether it's calling them, decoying them, you know, rattling a whitetail and anything, though, that tells you here I come, here I come, here I come before it gets there, including turkeys, for that matter, to me, just pumps you up. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, I'm sure that. Alan can attest, I I have not hunted brown bears, but I've been around them. And um, I'm sure that bow hunting them is is an adrenaline rush that is unmatched. But to me, there's a difference between an adrenaline rush from the fear of potentially being eaten and (laughs) the adrenaline rush that comes with sheer anticipation. And when a bull elk is coming in and he is bugling and it's getting closer and it's getting closer and he rips that bugle before you can see him. And 
it's so loud now that you can feel the vibrations on your skin and you can almost feel the ground rumbling underneath you. Nothing in the animal woods that I've experienced does that to me on the same level. You know what I mean? It's just, yep. it, it's something that's incomparable for me. And yeah, then, yeah. I feel the same way. My, my, you're the same way, Jeremy? Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I love big deer, both species as well. Um, and a, a moose as well. I, I, I love moose, but none of them to me are just do quite the same thing that an elk does to me. Um, and incidentally, both of my, I, I have kind of two favorite hunts and, uh, both of them were elk hunts. So the first one was, a <laughs> my dad's biggest bull that he ever, that he ever shot. It was a, it was a public land bull here in Colorado. Um, and we were up on top of this ridge really high at like 12,000 feet looking down into a basin. And this big bull has like 30 cows down there. And the basin that they're in, there's really only two escapes out of that basin. And I said, Dad, let's go down this super steep ridge in front of us and get in those two pinch points. And then one of the two of us, when they come through there, is going to get a shot. He sat there and he looked the whole situation over. And this is on my birthday, no less, okay? My birthday is <laughs> September 8th. And I, I'm yet to kill a bull on my birthday, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, I spend most birthdays huddled under trees trying to dry out or something. It seems to be a terrible weather day. Um, but this day, we're going after this huge bull. And uh, my dad looks over the entire situation. He was like, nope. You know, you go down there, see if you can sneak in on the edge of that herd, see if you can get a shot at him. If you booger him, if something happens, I think that they're going to come running right up this tree line straight to me. And I looked at him and I said, Dad, they they can go any direction. This is That's ridiculous. You know what I mean? You just don't <laughs> want to go down the ridge. And he was like, no, I honestly think that they will run right up this ridge to me. So I, long story short, I go down there sneak up on the edge of the herd. I'm getting close to bow range on this big bull. And I, I thought I had all the cows kind of accounted for out in front of me. They were kind of out in the open. And all of a sudden I hear a rock behind me, click, click, you know, 10 yards behind me. And here's a cow staring at me. She barks. The whole herd runs right up that tree line, <laughs> right to my dad. <laughs> and he shoots his biggest bull ever at 20 yards on my birthday. So that was, uh, that was one of them. Then the other one, my grandfather grew up in New Mexico and, uh, he, he, on a homestead and in central New Mexico. And a few years ago, um, he had had cancer and he was getting sicker and sicker. And he had talked to me a couple different times about the potential of me finding a way to go down there and hunt his homestead where he grew up, you know, he didn't even know who owned it anymore or anything like that. And, um, turned out that it's fairly tough tag to get. Um, and long story short, he was getting worse. I felt like we didn't have a whole lot more time to make this happen. So I found a landowner tag down there and it was kind of a last minute thing. And we went down there and we actually did a public land, do it yourself uh hunt on his homestead and some of the other surrounding areas and um so when we went down there 
the the actual homestead right there at his homestead didn't have a whole lot of elk on it, but some of the state land right next to it did. And we were struggling. There weren't very many elk that year. And I was worried that, um, you know, I, I was not going to be able to get this done. And really I needed to, to, to make a show out of it, um, to, to really, uh, I, I don't know for, to give grandpa this thrill, I needed to take a bull. You know what I mean? And on the, like the second to last day of that hunt, I got a, uh, it, it wasn't even a big bull. It was a five point bull. Um, he was decent five point. He came in, um, bugled him in, was able to take him. Um, you know, it's, it's, I get a little choked up even talking about it. Right <laughs> yeah, now. I can tell, man. Yeah. Um, but the next day, uh, my grandfather and my grandmother, my parents drove down from Colorado and we were able to go walk around the homestead where he grew up, which was, uh, you know, just dilapidated. It was the, the, the old cabin where he grew up had burned down. All there was, was a hearth left, um, the, you know, chicken coop and some of the corrals and stuff like that were, you know, you could tell where they had been and the wood was still out there and everything, but nothing was really standing. Um, but we got to go in there and do this big interview, walk the grounds, have grandpa tell me stories about what he did, where, and you know, where he killed his back when he was a kid, there were no elk in that area. And that's a conservation win to talk about right there. There was zero elk in that area. And now it's, you know, pretty normal elk hunting. Um, and he got to tell me all these stories. We got to, video all of this and um two months after videoing it my grandfather passed away and it ended up being the last video that we have my grandpa um and me and him sitting there reliving this hunt and reliving his childhood on the hearth where in the house where he grew up you know what i mean so it is funny it's sappy story but that one is the the end all be all for me, you know, huh. the end all be all. And it's just apropos that it was an elk hunt. <laughs> yep. That's you know? for sure. Very That's nice. awesome. What a story, man. Yeah. What a story. Well, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad we got to do this episode so that all our listeners could get to know you guys a little bit. Um, you know, I, I, I'm sure there hasn't been any question in the other episodes as to your passion and your expertise. Um, but I hope this helped paint a little better picture of who you guys are. And, uh, now as our listeners are listening, they can kind of picture you guys and, and understand where you're coming from. Um, but, but I'm just, like I said, I'm, I'm grateful that you guys are, are hosting this. I can't think of two, two better guys to do this, not only because of, you know, your passion for bow hunting, your expertise, your experience, but also just such good men that you are. I mean, just good family men, just good citizens, just, you know, you, you go above and beyond at any opportunity to, to help somebody and, and, and particularly in our industry to just help, uh, you know, people be successful with their hunts and with their equipment and whatever else they need. And so, um, I think uh, it's it's an obvious choice to have you guys hosting it, and 
and I'm excited about some of the episodes we have coming up. We've got some great ones planned and, and I'm just, uh, I don't know when this ride will end. Hopefully it won't ever end. We'll just keep doing this for a long time, but, uh, thank you guys for, for the time you put into it and, and, uh, look forward to the next episodes. Thanks, thank Jeremy. you for the, thank you for the kind words, Jeremy. And, and, uh, I'm looking forward to it and I know Alan, I'm sure you are too, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it really is an honor to, to, uh, be involved with Hoyt, Hoyt at this level and, uh, having access to the kind of guests that, that we've had access to and, and, and our list of guests that we have in the future is, is mind blowing. And, uh, I, I, I feel with, with this type of, uh, of guest list, the, the credibility and the amount of information that we're going to hear from these guys, I'm so excited, uh, to, to hear what they have to say. So thank you, Jeremy. Right on. Thanks, guys. We will uh, do it again soon.